Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. Hi, and welcome to Diabetes Healthcare Huddle. Today, I'm joined by Gail McNeil, our lovely diabetes educator again, and our wonderful guest speaker, Susie Jin. Susie is a primary care pharmacist, certified diabetes educator, certified fitter of compression therapy, and certified respiratory educator. Within Diabetes Canada, Susie is a contributing author of the clinical practice guidelines, including the new Remission of Type 2 Diabetes chapter and User's Guide, a member of the Dissemination and Implementation Committee of the CPGs, and an associate editor for the Diabetes Communicator and Professional Conference Co-Chair. Provincially, Susie serves on the Ontario Immunization Advisory Committee as well, and she's humbled to have received prestigious national awards, including the 2020 Charles H. Best Award given to a healthcare professional who has made a significant difference across Canada towards improving the quality of life of individuals living with diabetes, as well as the 2021 Diabetes Canada Educator of the Year. Welcome, Susie. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Gail, thank you. Lovely to be here. Wonderful. So today our topic is diabetes in older adults. Um, Such an incredibly uh, important topic as we're always trying to individualize care and think about clinical priorities and uh, how to focus on how to best help the individual in the context of their own unique situation. Um, Gail, I'm sure that in the clinic, you probably see lots of older adults um, and you probably face a lot of unique challenges. We really, really do, Sarah. And thank you so much, Susie, for joining us. Because as I suggested, this is, is a really important topic. Because with the life expectancy increasing and the, all the tools we have for managing diabetes, we're finding a lot of our patients are living into their 80s. And as you said, Sarah, as educators, we are often faced with new challenges in this population. And not only from the patients, but from healthcare providers as well. Because one of the challenges in this group is recognize the heterogeneity of the population. I'm going to say all 75-year-old women are not the same. And one example that comes to mind all the time is my patient, Dorothy. Um, I first met Dorothy when she was about 75 years old, and she's had, had type 2 diabetes for 23 years. And she'd been finally referred to our center. And I say finally, because she'd been asking her physician if she could be referred. So when I first met her, Dorothy stated, I'm just so frustrated. My sugars are all over the place. I cannot make sense of them. They're up and down. My doctor just shakes his head. So I've been taking this mixed insulin twice a day for so long. I just don't think it's working anymore. Now, Dorothy does have some comorbidities like chronic kidney disease and hyperkalemia. And her A1C is 7.8%, which Susie, I want you to, to chat about. But she's very active. She does these swim workouts every day at the Y, and she's really active in the community. So Susie, when I think of Dorothy, the idea of ageism comes into mind. There's so many options that we could be working with, but are we treating her age instead of the person? And I think we should be looking at this differently or working with this differently. Susie, can you help with this aspect of things? <laughs> well, I wish I could. Gail, I, I'm so grateful to be part of this podcast and thank you to Diabetes Canada for bringing this to our attention. I feel that in so many ways, 
if we can't, um, as diabetes educators, as the team that's caring for Dorothy in this case, if we can't come together and agree on our A1C target, then we really don't even have a good starting point. There have been times when I have somebody who comes into my pharmacy and they have an A1C of 7.8, and I start talking to them about, you know, um, if, if in, case, in Dorothy's case, she is uh, functionally independent, so why aren't we looking at an A1C target of, uh, as the A1C tar- Diabetes Canada A1C targets table suggests, that we look at for most adults with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, an A1C of less than 7%. And perhaps even if we can keep her risk of hypoglycemia low to reduce the risk of CKD, and she has CKD, as well as reducing the risk of retinopathy, aim for an A1C of 6.5. And and it's interesting because I've actually called some um, diabetes team members about this and said, hey, why don't we try to aim for a lower A1C? And it's eight scale. Just like you said, there was ageism involved. They said, well, you know, this person's much older. What do you think her life expectancy is? And I really feel that we, we don't look at that. We shouldn't look at that. We should be looking at the functional dependence or independence of the person. And I think one of the other key features when we talk about A1Cs and targets is how we're getting there. If you can achieve an A1C less than 6.5% on metformin, metformin and SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 where there is really no risk of hypoglycemia, you know, that's a very potentially achievable and beneficial goal. Um, very, very different than attempting to target an A1C less than 6.5% or 7% if that means requiring initiation of insulin, particularly rapid insulin, which therefore carries much higher risk. So to me, part of it is the A1C target, but part of it is the journey is what choices and pharmacotherapy are we going to need to add or adjust to get to that target is the additional risk or side effect profile of that agent worth the potential benefit of intensifying their glycemic control. Exactly. And, and I think that's where we, we have the whole individualization of therapy. And when we look at the older adult, we really are looking at a person and is there frailty involved or is that person capable of self-care? And if they're capable of self-care, then actually I don't even look at the age, right? And so it's just like you said, Sarah, if we can keep the risk of hypoglycemia low, there's no reason to necessarily start looking at allowing the A1C to go higher. Excellent. But yeah, if we, if we have to start adding those agents that are at higher risk of, of hypoglycemia, then of course we have to start looking at the capacity of the person for self-care. Perfect. And you brought up the term of frailty. So, so how do we define frailty and how do we consider frailty in the older adult? Excellent question. So the Diabetes Canada chapter in diabetes in, in older adults has an excellent clinical frailty scale that um, looks at, you know, how how active is the person, how functionally independent is the person. And you can start seeing as they start needing a cane and a walker, you can see obviously that if they were to be on medications that um, put them at risk of hypoglycemia, their ability to get to the fridge or get to the what they need to, to treat or even identify if their monitor isn't right handy, you know, to get up and move to get to the to the agents that they need to help care for that or treat that hypoglycemia, then those are the types of things when we have to start allowing their A1C to be higher. The, uh, the frailty scale continues to go on to people who are then wheelchair bound and then uh, bed, 
found. Um, but the other thing that the frailty scale does look at is dementia, right? Because maybe their ability to move is not impaired, but if their uh, level of uh, cognition is impaired, then of course their ability to recognize hypoglycemia might be impaired, of course, and their ability to self or to treat the hypoglycemia would be impaired. So frailty is a, is a two-way thing. It's the cognition as well as functional movement. Excellent. Thank you. And then, you know, you, you talked about hypoglycemia, and this is certainly one of the things we're always worried about in older adults and really everyone. Um, we always want to avoid and minimize hypoglycemia, but particularly higher risk for older adults because there's evidence that they are later in recognizing their hypoglycemia, may recognize the symptoms at a lower level of sugar. And as you've correctly said, have more potential barriers to being able to treat or measure their sugar. Um, what resources can we have to address this risk? Are there any tools we can use to support the older adult? Excellent. Well, um, if that older adult has access to the glucose sensing technology, then that I found has been very helpful. I've used that in my practice a lot. I've put um, the sensor on the person. And so, of course, we have the intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring, and then we have the real-time glucose monitoring, which allows you to push the data. So, of course, that depends on the person's a capability of remembering to scan. And of course, I've helped them set alerts to, um, to remind them to scan. But what has been really helpful for me, and I've used this for family members who are caring for an older adult, whether that older adult is living in the comforts of their own home or in the comforts of congregate living, like long-term care or retirement homes. But when you have a um, family member or a caregiver who's willing to monitor from a distance the person's blood sugars, that's been very helpful. And so we have real-time continuous glucose monitoring has this follow-up and the intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring has the uh, link app. And those have been excellent in that, um, you know, having a team, a, per, a team of people to help care for that older adult um, really helps improve the person's clinical outcomes. Yeah, and I, I think that's incredibly important is engaging the, the family, the community supports. Um, you know, we all need more help and trying to do all the things we can to provide those resources. Um, those tools are amazing. And the other thing that I've found particularly helpful is um, virtual medicine. Um, because many older adults, they might have barriers to coming into clinic. Uh, they may not be driving anymore or be living in a situation where it's harder to come in. And so when they have these glucose sensing uh, capability, if they're wearing Libre or Dexcom, and we can download that data remotely from the cloud, I'm able to provide virtual care, which means that I can phone the patient in the comfort of their home. I know what's happening with their sugars and I can give them advice virtually or speak to a family member and, and provide kind of accurate advice. And I think that virtual medicine has really reduced some of the barriers that we had for people accessing care, um, particularly helpful for some of our older adults. Excellent. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. And you know, I think if you're a healthcare provider um, listening to this podcast, and perhaps, so I, I feel like everybody's in a different stage along their, you know, comfort level of caring for people. And I've actually helped pharmacists. Um, I told them, you know what, even if you don't want to be the person to be fully involved in, you know, recommending insulin dose adjustments or whatever, but sometimes all you need to do is help that person get connected to 
the continuous glucose monitoring on their cloud system, and then that connects them to their team. So Sarah, that's a perfect example of the person comes in, if I'm starting them on continuous glucose monitoring, whether it be ISCGM or the RTCGM, if I can help them uh, get onto that platform, we have improved their care by connecting them to their diabetes team. Absolutely. I, I think those are wonderful tips. And, and Gail, now that we've had this conversation, you know, how can we apply some of these learning points from Susie when we're back in the clinic again and seeing some of the, our patients who are older adults with diabetes? Oh, thank you, Susie, for the information. That I, I totally agree with almost everything you said. I heard you say very clearly, capacity for self-care is what we should be looking at the patient with. Forget the age, as you said, okay? Capacity for self-care. And of course, safety is our most important factor we're looking at. And through that, we can use things like the scale, the frailty scale to actually individualize care. And I'm so glad to hear you supporting the monitoring systems, okay? Simply because I found that they have been terrific in clinic a lot of our older people don't actually recognize their low blood sugars. And when we put them on the sensing systems, uh, it's fabulous when they actually see and they are bought in to their own care even more so. So, I mean, my whole goal in dealing with the older person is to keep them as independent as possible. And I'm so glad to hear you share the idea. Don't look at the age, look at the capacity for self-care. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great tool. That's wonderful. Thanks, Gail. And Susie, any take-home points for us as we come to the end? No, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that we've talked about the team and, you know, they often, we often said that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it certainly takes a, a village to care for an older adult. And when I, when I was thinking, when we really look at the A1C targets and really trying to um, figure out what's acceptable for the person, I really feel in so many ways that prevention, 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 and no matter <laughs> where we are in life, no, ma no matter what our level of frailty is, if we're still alive, we can still prevent future outcomes from happening. So um, I, I still encourage people to keep um, doing what we can and never give up the fight of doing the best that we can. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Susie, for our conversation here today and to Gail as well. That was wonderful. And hopefully everyone has some wonderful tips we can have for moving back into the clinic in the future. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed hearing Susie speak on this topic, you can also view the webinar on diabetes in older adults with Susie and Melanie Snyder at www.diabetes.ca slash healthcare providers. Please help us improve our future podcasts by filling out the survey in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast. 